Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison of the grave. This time, each carried a torch, and each was burned by it. The heel, the hero worshiper, and the hard-bitten blonde. And all because of a woman already two days dead. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Torch Carriers. The eight hours that had just slipped away had been a noisy assortment of big people with little troubles I hadn't wanted to help. And little people with big troubles I hadn't been able to help. So by the time it was all over and I was heading for home, a cozy, quiet cocktail lounge at the Wilshire Gardens Hotel seemed like a good idea. When I was there, up at the bar with one down and one to go, the strain that had been with me all day began to ease up. But even as I relaxed, the tension between the couple sitting at my left became more and more apparent. I looked down the bar... The girl was young, pretty, and obviously afraid of the little man with her. Who had only asthma where a voice should have been. Now, have I made myself clear? I, I don't know what you're talking about. Now, look, sister, Larry Sower doesn't go for people snooping after him now. And neither do I. It gives me work to do that sometimes rough on a party. Brave boy. All right, little man, you've had your busy day. Hey, take your hands off. As soon as you relax. Okay, okay, get your mitts off. Now, gentlemen, please, no fighting. I can lose my license for it. Now you, you leave at once. Wait a minute, Baldy. You heard him, Buster. Okay. I said what I come to say anyhow. Walter, Walter, stop playing. You all right, miss? Yes, thank you. Are you sure? Would you like another drink? No, no, thank you. I think I'll go back to my villa. Oh, you're staying here at the Wilshire Garden? Yes, Villa 12, it's just around the corner. Maybe I better see you as far as the door. Little pal of yours might still be around. Well, thank you. It's all right, come on. This is really very nice of you, Mr. Marlowe, Philip Marlowe. What about you? What? Oh, it's Claire Osborne. Well, now look, Claire, I'm not trying to pry into your business, but in a way, people like Larry Salter are my business. Larry Salter? How did you know about him? Your little pal in the bar wasn't whispering. Oh. I'm a private detective, Claire, and I see a lot of people get in over their heads. Hate to see it happen to you. You know, these people play rough, usually for keeps. Maybe you better tell me about it, huh? Well, this is my place. Oh. Mr. Marlowe, I'll be frank with you. A month ago, I got into a jam. It was an investment I'd made some stock. A sure thing, I was told. Yeah, they usually are. Anyhow, the certificates weren't quite gilt-edged, and they took a dive, a deep one. And to protect myself, I needed more money, so I I took a bracelet. I had a diamond one and got a loan on it. From Larry Salter? Yes, from Salter. A friend, a person I thought was a friend, recommended him to me. So, so you cashed your bracelet, covered your investment, got your money back, and now you want the bracelet again, correct? Yes, but Salter isn't around. He's hiding. How do you know? Well, I went to the club he runs up on the strip. I overheard it there. Oh. Two men spoke of him as being on a, an extended vacation for his health. But of course, I didn't believe that, so I went around the back, found the door open, and got into Salter's private office. Maybe that in itself is a wonderful way to get into trouble deep. Yes, I know, but 
I just had to find out where Salter could be located so I could pay him and get my bracelet back. Uh. Here, look. This paper. Mm-hmm. It was folded under Salter's memo pad. On one side it says, Madge, Gladstone 274. The last number's missing, torn off. And on the back, meet at 1010. Uh, 10. Can this help us any? Yeah, it might. But first, Claire, a couple of questions that might help even more. Who was that ersatz little Caesar who slapped you in there? One of the men I overheard talking at Salter's club. He must have seen me and then followed me here. That figures. Now look, honey, you're scrambling awful hard for a thousand-buck bracelet. What's the rest of it? The rest of it? Well, you're out of your... Honey. Oh, what's you? That's better. I might just as well tell you. The bracelet isn't mine, Mr. Marlowe. It belongs to my aunt. I live with her in San Diego. Oh, you borrowed it while she was away, maybe, huh? Yes. Oh, please, I've learned my lesson. I only want to get that bracelet back now, Mr. Marlowe. Please, please, will you help me? I'll pay you anything. Never mind that now. Oh, please, I, I must know where Larry Salter is. Okay, Claire, we'll try to find out, but I want condition, huh? Which is what? That you go inside, lock all doors and windows, sit next to the phone, and until you hear from me again, do absolutely nothing on your own. Agreed? Oh, yes, agreed, Mr. Marlowe. Thank you very much. Maybe it was because the sweet young kid had the kind of voice you could still hear long after she was gone. You know, one of those lingering sounds like... like the echo of a train whistle hanging on crisp early morning air. But when I was at a payphone, I stopped wondering and started dialing numbers prefixed Gladstone and followed by 274 and then in order one, two, three, and so on, until after no answer once, wisecrackers twice, and a babysitter who thought I was a masher from a high school, I finally scored at number five. The answer took me to a dame named Madge Gilbert at a place called the Beekman Plaza. It wasn't the kind of place you'd go for mother, and Madge Gilbert wasn't the kind of girl mother would put up with. However, she must have been nice to look at once, and from the smile, pleasant to know. Okay, Mr. Busy Guy, now that we're together, what is it? Well, for one thing, the name's Kirby, and you can drop the fancy handle. Uh Uh-huh. And for another thing, Kirby? I want to find Larry Salter, but quick. Why? Got a proposition for him. He won't be interested. Sit down. Uh, How can you tell? You don't know what it is. No, but I do know what at the moment Larry is. Yeah? And in three letters, my friend, the word is sad. He lost his lady love. Drink. No, thanks. What do you mean, his lady love? I heard that you and Larry... Never mind what you heard. Uh All that's used to be. The pre-Janice trial period. Uh, The sad comes from Janice finding a better deal, maybe, huh? No. She was killed. Automobile accident. Night before last. Sold her with her? No, again. She was alone and drunk. And that's probably the way Larry is right now. A blind fool. Fill it up, Sure. Look, baby, believe me, it won't put out the torch you're carrying. Shut up. Sorry I broke the whole thing up. Now, what was that proposition you mentioned? For Larry exclusively. Where is he? The foundry on Cushing. Where? The foundry in East Los Angeles. Hey, wait a minute, Kirby. You seem kind of lost for a friend of Larry. I'm just fuzzy on locations, that's all. How about numbers? The address down there, what is it? Come on, fast. Ten, ten. Unless it's been changed recently. It hasn't. Okay, busy guy, you're still all right. Thanks. 
And if you play it real close, I think you'll be too. See you, Madge. Cushing Avenue in East Los Angeles is industrial, literally wrong side of the tracks and about as non-Hollywood as an honest day's work. And all the way there, I kept blessing the dumb luck that had made me answer 1010 for the address before I'd even had time to think. When I pulled up and parked away from the place, I hoped that luck would continue. Because ahead was the foundry, or what remained of it, and in no sense did it look like friendly territory. I found a metal staircase climbing from what had once been a loading ramp up to the yard foreman's office where a single staring, unshielded light inside said that somebody was home. And when I'd quietly gone up those stairs, I saw through a glass door who that somebody was. Larry Salter, alone next to a telephone and pitching darts at a smiling face on a calendar across the wall that read January 1928. And I knocked with the barrel of my thirty-eight on the dirty glass door told me to come in without okay. looking up. Make yourself at home, neighbor. Be with you in a minute. Ah. <clears throat> Aha! <laughs> I did it. Her front tooth have been trying for that all night. So glad you made it. Now it won't be on your mind while we talk. About what? Bracelets. Bracelets? Uh, neighbor, this is an iron foundry. What you want is a jewelry shop. Let's save each other a lot of time and level, huh? I'm a private detective named Marlowe Salter, and at the moment working for Claire Osborne, who now has the price of a bracelet. Wants it back in a hurry. Do we do business? No, we don't. And it's not because I don't like your neighbor. But? But because, one, I never heard of any Claire Osborne. And two, bracelets are stuff for second-story men, which I am not. And three, you ought to get yourself a pair of sneakers, stupid. <laughs> You've been followed all the way through the yard, up the stairs, and into this room. An old gag, Sully. No, no gag. So while you still can, you better put that gun away, because my boy Cover takes a strange delight in messing people up real bad. You're bracketed, chum. You better drop it fast. Yep. That's better. Now, Marlo, without any double talk about babes and bracelets, let's have it. You're one of Freeman's best boys, aren't you? You think I had something to do with him getting knocked off in that ditch? You're here to square things away. That's it, isn't it? No, it isn't. Let me get your hands off me. Okay, I won't touch you again. But that's more than I can say for Cobra. Yeah, lots more. toss-up, whether Cobra's gun on the side of my head or the side of my head on the floor had done the damage. But either way, it didn't seem to matter. Because I couldn't make it back any further than Larry Salter's voice. It sounded like it was coming from the bottom of the well. Even though I could see him talking into the telephone. Okay, my place later. It's 8100 North but then, I couldn't even see that anymore. Oh. 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 Good evening, Wilshire Gardens Hotel. Villa. 
Bill at 12, please. Yes, sir. One moment, please. Oh. Uh. Hello? Hello, Claire. Listen, I'm over in East Los Angeles. Mr. Marlowe, did you find him? Do you know where Larry Salter is? Yeah, I think so. 8100 North Lucerne. It's up in Hollywood near you. Now, listen, Claire, about the bracelet. There is no bracelet. What? There was no odd. No trouble on the stock market and no loan made. Why do you want to know where Salter is? What do you want from him? His life. Goodbye, Mr. Marlowe. Wait a minute, Claire. Claire, listen to me. I... Oh. Oh, my head. I wouldn't try it, Sam. Hey, Culver, listen, I... Shut up. You don't have to go no place until Larry Salter comes back and says so. Now relax, chum. In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, a brief message from the Ford Dealers of America. Over 100,000 motorists are experiencing the engineering leadership built into the 50 Ford. As owners, they already know that it's the one fine car in the low-priced field, and it's personal experience that counts in buying a car. That's why the Ford Dealers of America are issuing this special invitation to test drive this new 50 Ford for yourself. In the classified phone directory, you'll find the name of your nearest Ford dealer. Perhaps you know him personally. He'll be delighted to arrange a test drive tomorrow. So get behind the wheel and test drive it for the comfort of its midship ride and its unmatched roominess. Test drive it for the power and quietness of the only V8 in the low-priced field, the kind of engine found in America's costliest cars, yet priced lower than ten different six-cylinder cars. Test drive it for the safety of its own king-size brakes, largest in the low-priced field. Before you buy any car at any price, you'll find it to your advantage to test drive the 50 Ford at your Ford dealers tomorrow. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Torch Carriers. I turned to the poker-faced cobra and the 45, both staring at me from across six dusty feet of concrete floor that made the ancient East L.A. foundry seem colder and even more lonely. You don't stay put so good, do you, sweetheart? You're kind of heavy-handed with that gun, aren't you, Culver? You want to try again, sweetheart? I'll pass. Standing here staring at each other is apt to get dull, don't you think? That's entirely up to you, sweetheart. You bleed pretty. You'd like that, wouldn't you, kid? Look, just so I don't get plugged by mistake. You better let me sit down before I fall down, huh? Help yourself. Over there on that box so we keep me between you and the door. That's right. You're a good boy. You've got no idea. Hey, come on. How long do we play like this? I'll tell you better when Orville the Squeak gets back. What's Orville the Squeak? He runs errands for Larry, like finding out what's phony about a certain young babe and her bracelets that don't exist. So that's where the bird with the whiskey soprano fits. That's the way the punk operates, huh? Well, that way, Kovu, we'll both die of old age before... Well, well, you hear that? Somebody moved downstairs. Maybe this is visitor's night in the old foundry. <laughs> Don't get your hopes up, sweetheart. Those live here, they're rats. They eat small dogs. And one thing more, Marlowe. <laughs> What's that for, punk? Dropping your hands out of your lap where I couldn't see them. Don't try it again. I'll put it on your bill. 
You know, Kova, you're holding me here on Larry Salter's orders, and yet I'm the only one who knows what schedule I happened to him tonight. Maybe you better tell me. Sure, sure. Only first I want to know something. What about the late Mr. Freeman Best? Freeman was scum. Low, stinking scum. Nobody misses him. I mean nobody. And Larry didn't kill him. That's out. But he was connected, wasn't he? And there was a girl named Janice Trow. How does she figure? Uh, you better let that one set, sweetheart, for your own sake. Now let's have your end and fast. What's supposed to happen? Did you hear it? Yeah, what? Don't tell me a tough boy like you gets jumpy. Skip it. All right, give. Come on, wise boy. Jabber. Look, Culver, won't do you any good. Anyway, I'm the only one who... Shut can... up. There was something. Maybe your rats are big enough to wear shoes. Huh? Shut up, I said. And sit right there or I'll blow you in two. And I mean it. Orville? Orville? Hey, Squeak. Is that you? Who's out there? Answer me! As Cove ridged out of the room, I felt alongside of the box I'd been sitting on for a jagged chunk of metal slag I'd spotted earlier. It was about the size of a baseball and heavy. I picked it up, then moved across to the opposite wall near the door. You! Get out of here! The boss is through with you! Now beat it! I stepped out and saw Cove standing at the head of the stairs his back to me. I threw the lump of iron slag with everything I had. <clears throat> Caught him like a hammer between the shoulder blades. His head flew back, his fingers clawed at the air, and he pitched face first down the stairs. I caught a glimpse of a woman ducking out of sight behind the foundry furnace. It was Madge Gilbert. You killed him, didn't you? Cobra's dead? I don't know, and I don't care. What are you doing in this boarded-up rat trap? There's nobody else here. Just us and Cobra. Creepy number they call over. The squeakers do any minute. That nasty little lost. Gives me the willies. You made your bed, baby, but let's not get lost. What are you after in here? Well, I've been thinking plenty about that torch you're talking about. I decided if you carry the same old one long enough, you're bound to get burned. Finally felt the heat, huh? Yeah, plenty. So I came here looking for you, or Larry. Couldn't make up your mind. Certainly. I wanted to tell Larry I was through with him. He'd have beat you to it, but you found me, so... Okay. What if Larry or the squeak come back after what I'm going to tell you? You got to help me get out of here. Larry'd kill me. Okay, kid, let's have it. Well, you wanted to know about Janice Trowell. Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you. She was beautiful. I'd be the first to admit it. A brunette like every woman wishes she was. And Larry fell for her. She took him away from me just like I'd been dead ten years. Only she was rotten. Never once a clean thought in her twisted, dirty old brain. So says the jealous lover. Jealous? Sure, I was jealous at first. And just hurt and disgusted. She was double-crossing Larry every time he turned around, but there was nothing I could do. I tried to tell him... So he... far, it's strictly stock, Madge. Yeah. All but this. One time I made it stick. She borrowed Larry's car to take that slimy Freeman best out for a ride in it. With extra laughs because it was Larry's car, mind you. And and Freeman Best, in case you haven't heard. I've was... heard. Well, I got a lead that they were going to wind up at the Bridge Cafe. I made Larry take me out there to prove what I'd been telling him about Janice was true. You proved it? Sure. We waited for him at the bridge. They showed up all right, doing 90. She couldn't make the curve and they hit the bridge railing. 
Killed them both. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're stretching, baby. Freeman Best Body was found 30 miles south. Sure, sure it was, because Larry couldn't bear the idea of Janice Trow being found with Freeman Best. He tried to protect her and keep everybody from finding out what a tramp she really was. He pulled Freeman's body out of the wreck and hauled it clear down to Long Beach and dumped it. I watched him do it. And all this business is just to keep that secret about Janice Trow, huh? Sure. Gee, can you imagine a love like that going to waste? <laughs> Why, even with her dead, even now, he won't as much as speak to me. I'm not so bad. I've tried and I've waited. But he won't drop it. So it's all yours, Kirby, and take it. I hope you put it right where it hurts him the most. No dice, baby. Kirby was a stall. I'm Marlowe, private detective. What? Gee... How cheap did I sell out, anyway? That depends. The only axe I'm grinding is for a girl named Claire Osborne. Ever hear of her? No. That's funny. For some reason, she hates Salter even more than you. It's horrible. It's horrible. You stay where you are. I'm scared of it, Mom. I'll pull his fangs. Just don't get absent-minded about which side you're on. Hello, Orville. Where's Larry? been waiting for him. Where's cover, then? I got something important. Cover? Oh, why, he, he went out for a few minutes. Yeah? I don't like this, sister. You in here all by yourself? Something's wrong. What is it? Come on, what's the matter? Marlo! Hold it, Orville. You. Uh, why the gun? Yes. What do you know about Claire Osborne? I... I don't think I know the party. Sure you do. A cute little brunette named Claire Osborne. I want the straight dope on her, and I want it now, not later. Go over. Hey, go over. Answer my questions, you creep. You won't get anything out of me. Larry will take care of both. Hey. You jerk. Well, maybe there's something on it will give me an answer without talking back. Look, he always wrote things down in a little notebook. It's inside his jacket. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Here it is. Let's see. Oh, sure, sure, this is it. Claire Osborne arrived from San Diego last night by plane. Registered at Wilshire Gardens as Claire Osborne, but according to driver's license, her real name is... For Pete's sake, no wonder. I'll see you, kid. It took me 20 minutes to get from East L.A. over to Lucerne and another five to find the bleak white bungalow that belonged to Larry Salter. Its front windows were dark when I drove past it, parked on a side street, and walked back. But in the rear, one window showed a light. The screen door was open, so I eased myself into the service porch where I could see Salter sitting at a kitchen table. A look on his face of hurt defiance, like a small boy accused of something he hadn't done. I couldn't see who was facing him, but there was no mistaking the voice. I love my sister. It was Claire. All my life, Janice was everything to me. And now she's dead and you killed her. That's true, isn't it? I've already told you once, kid, you're making a mistake. I know I'm not. You're going to pay for my sister's death. No court will ever call it murder, but that's what it was. You did it just as surely as if you'd strangled her with your own hands. And now I'm going to get even for Janice. Claire, hey, what is it? Marlo, you crazy fool. Why did you come here? Give me that gun, Claire. I know you stay out of this. You can't stop me. Nobody can. Even if you shoot me, Marlo, I'll kill him. Now listen to me. Before you start pulling that trigger, you better know all the facts. Everything Salter here has done since your sister's death has been to shield and protect what little she herself left of a good reputation. She turned bad, Claire. She... 
you're lying. No, no. What reason have I got to lie? I'm telling you this because it's true and I can prove it. I don't believe you. You're trying to trick me. It was your big sister who tricked you years ago. She was no good. See, that double-crossing dirty cheater wouldn't shoot square for five minutes. Stop it, No, there's more. The night she died, she was two-timing Larry. But even in spite of that, he risked his neck to move the body of the other guy just so... So she wouldn't be found with the kind of cheap trash she'd been running around with. And do you know why? Because Larry Salter there loved your sister, loved her every bit as much as you did. Loved her? Yeah. I know. No, this this can't be true. Yes, it's true, kid. All of it. I loved her all right. It's just too bad that Janice went like she did. Why? Oh, Marlowe. Okay, baby, the hard part's over. Come on, come on, give me the gun. You don't want to shoot anybody. Not now. Feel better now, Claire? Yes, I hope you're all right when I get used to a few new ideas. Yeah. What's going to happen to me now? Well, that's pretty much up to you. How do you mean? The world spins like mad, honey. You have to keep up or get lost. Like I was tonight. Mm -hmm. I was lost, Marlo, terribly. Everything I had any faith in was was gone. Yeah, I know. That's because you had blind faith, Claire. You know, that's okay for kids, but you're a big girl now. Oh, yes, I, I get it. From now on, it's me, on my own two feet, and my eyes wide open. (laughs) Well, take it easy, baby. It's uh, fun to close them once in a while. After I dropped Claire off at her hotel, I... I remember the drink I'd started out to get and left half-finished on the bar... But it was too late now to stop anywhere, so I drove home and poured myself a nightcap in my own apartment. I carried it over to the window and looked out across the city at the endless miles of winking lights. Each one a torch. Everybody carries a torch for something. Some for a love they can never have. An ideal that's out of reach and some just... just for memory. Funny thing. So many dark corners get their only light on the torch that somebody carries. Marlowe will be back in just a moment, but first, be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says, this time everything that happened from the orange-haired man with a map past the oaf for the pitchfork to the body at the covered bridge was wrong, dead wrong. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, 
star Gerald Moore are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Sammy Hill, John Daner, Vivi Janis, Harry Bartell, Wilms Herbert, and Edgar Barrier. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard O'Ron. This is Roy Rowan speaking. Stay tuned now for Gangbusters, which follows immediately on most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison or the grave. This time, everything that happened from the orange-haired man with a map past the oaf with a pitchfork to the body at the covered bridge was wrong. Dead wrong. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Covered Bridge. You know, every once in a while, into the life of one Philip Marlowe, a little peace and quiet must fall. A day marked by neither murder nor mayhem. No phone calls. Just nothing. I was just beginning to like it, too, when the door opened and a head full of slick orange hair walked in. It was on a man wearing a new flannel suit, a hand-painted tie, and a reckless grin. He shoved the telephone out of his way, sat down on the corner of my desk, and sized me up with a pair of careful gray eyes. Got a proposition for you, laddie. Tell me about it. Let you know if I'm interested. You should be. There's good money in it. It's not always the answer. Go ahead. You got a good car? Good enough. I don't keep it in the office. You like Mexico? Look, is this a social call or a quiz program? Well, this is business. I asked you a question. Yeah, I like Mexico. I don't like you. Well, that's good, because you're going to drive a couple of friends of me down there. Uh, name your price. Not interested. thousand bucks? Not interested. That's too bad. Would have been nicer to work this out without a gun. Listen, you're too big, Talk jerk. easy, laddie. This gun is bigger than both of us. Are you going to drive across the Mexican border tonight with three passengers? And there won't be any difficult questions, because you are the well-known Senor Philip Marlowe, a respectable private detective. Somewhere below the border, your fellow travelers will catch a boat. But this you don't have to worry about. Now, look, just a minute. Look, I... laddie, I came to you for several reasons, one of which is that you're smart enough to know when to quit fighting the problem got to make a stop first, so let's go. Uh, and leave your artillery in the drawer. Come on. Yeah, sure. Since I'm now an old pal of yours, what do I call you? You pick it. Believe me, you won't like it. Um, how about George? You like George? Not particularly. Good. Just call me George. Let's go, Marlo. <laughs> We nodded at the elevator girl, waved goodbye to the kid in the parking lot, and headed south on Highway 101. All with the front of that Mauser nudging my kidney. It was screwy, but I was on my way to Mexico. Uh, don't get ambitious, Marlowe. Not too fast, not too slow. Just keep it rolling nice and steady. 
I did what I was told and watched for a break. For every foot of a hundred miles down the coast. At Oceanside, we cut inland past Escondido and up into the citrus country. Once he dug a little map from his pocket and studied it while we headed into the hills where farms were farther apart. George was busy looking for a turnoff when my chance came, and it came fast. My foot slammed down hard on the brake. George's head slapped the windshield, and the gun slipped out of his hand. I dropped two wheels in the ditch, but I got the gun. He took one look, then jumped out and ran in a low crouch from the back of the car. Before I could follow him, I heard the truck coming. It was a big two-section job rolling fast. It topped the rise just as George pivoted toward the road. The truck driver must have seen him just as he hit but the air brake blocked on all 26 wheels at the same time. I ran to where George lay like a discarded doll at the side of the road. The truck driver was out of his cab before it stopped rolling. I didn't see him. I didn't see him. I come over the rise there. I, I didn't see him. Take it easy. Honest, I didn't see him. Is he all right? He ain't dead, is he? No, no, he isn't. He won't be walking much anymore. It wasn't my fault, Mr. Honest. I know it wasn't. Get hold of yourself. Uh, Gosh, what should we do? I want you to drive to the nearest phone and get the police and then come back. Here's my card. Give it to the troopers. Oh. Tell them they can reach me at my office. Yeah, what are you going to do? I can figure out how to read this map of his. I'm going to pay a call on a couple of people who are expecting oh. this guy. Oh. Maybe it's just a stubborn streak, but when I'm being used as a patsy, I like to meet the people involved. Oh. As I drove, I studied the map, and two miles down the highway, I found the first landmark. A dead tree. There I left the highway and followed a rocky trail seven corkscrew miles up a canyon to the next landmark, a bridge. One that looked like it had been lifted out of some rustic Connecticut woods and dropped across the California gorge purely by mistake. Because it was covered complete to roof and walls and made entirely of lumber. And on the hill beyond was a lonely house where the trail marked on the map ended. I drove slowly through the sagging wood tunnel and... At the other end, deliberately killed my motor. And I got out, raised the hood, and went to work on the distributor. I don't know where he came from, but when I glanced up, he was standing there watching me. A bull in overalls with a pitchfork clenched in a pair of hands as thick as $4 steaks. We didn't like each other's looks. You picked a bad place for trouble, mister. That's so. Why? Nobody almost never comes up this road, especially strangers. How come you took it? Really want to know, or are you just killing time? I wouldn't be too smart if I was you, mister. Uh, you live in that house up there? No, not anymore. I got canned for drinking. Well, why are you so interested in that place? The only farm around here. Maybe they got a mechanic. Yeah, maybe. Where'd you say you were from? L.A. Uh, Los Angeles, huh? You real sure you don't know anybody up there on the hill? Like who, for instance? A certain party who took a trip to L.A. not so long ago. And another thing, city boy. Don't get out of line or I'll fix you good. Understand? I mean, how do you do? <laughs> you want something? Uh, yes, my car stalled at the bottom of the hill. Dolly! Dolly, who is it? Who's there? Uh, a man, Uncle Walter. 
He says his car broke down. What's that, Church? Your car broke down, you say? Yeah, I don't know what went wrong, Mr. Uh... My name is Brule, Walter Brule. Oh, I'm glad to know you. I'm Philip Marlowe. What are you doing on this road, Mr. Marlowe? I thought it was a shortcut. Did you? Well, you were wrong. It's a dead end. Oh. Mm, come inside. Thanks. Look, Mr. Brule, I'd like to have somebody who knows motors come down and look at my car, huh? Mm-hmm. All right, then Ed comes in. I guess he could go down with you. Oh, I... That's I, my I... new hired hand, Ed Fry. Oh. I don't know, Uncle Walter. It's getting pretty dark. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing myself. As a matter of fact, if you can accommodate me, Mr. Brule, I'd just as soon rest up a while and shove off in the morning. I want to pay you for everything, of course. Stay overnight? Oh, I, uh... I'm afraid that's impossible. We... Impossible? Yeah. Why? What's the matter with you, Dolly? If necessary, I'm sure we can arrange to take care of Mr. Marlowe some way. Well, okay. Well, that's better. Now, if you want me, Dolly, I'll be out in the barn. Make yourself comfortable, Mr. Marlowe. Your uncle, huh? He owns this place? That's right. My mother was his favorite sister. Oh. You want a cup of coffee? Oh, I'd love it. Haven't had any farm kitchen coffee in ages. You, uh, you don't seem to have any visitors up this way, Dolly, huh? No, not many. Nice farm, though. Stinks. That why you run off to L.A. now and then? How did you know about that? I guess. I ran into a friend of yours at the bottom of the hill. A pair of overgrown shoulders with a pitchfork. Said he used to work here. Him. He did up until a month ago. That's Noah Bickman. Big dumb goof. Here's your cup. No, thanks. By the way, Mr. Marlowe, where are you heading? Oh, Mexico, maybe. Mexico. Yeah. You kind of came a long ways out of your way, didn't you? Did I? Dolly. Dolly. We're in here, Eddie. What's the matter? A car at the bottom of the hill. Whose is it? car belongs to me. It's stalled. Uh, who are you? This is Mr. Marlowe, Eddie. He's uh, on his way to Mexico. Well, you don't say. And since his car broke down so late, he may stay all night. Uncle Walter said it'd be all right. Is that a fact? I'll uh, go get some blankets, Eddie, so you can take them up to the spare room for Mr. Marlowe. Oh, okay, Dolly. Mr. Marlowe, huh? Where are you from, Mr. Marlowe? L.A. You? Uh, points east. Uh. You know, this road don't go to Mexico, Marlowe. In fact, it stops about a mile up the draw here. Kind of funny that you wound up on it, isn't it? I don't see you breaking up over it, Eddie. Don't let my poker face throw you, pal. Traveling alone, are you? I am now. Meaning what? That there's nobody with me. That's simple, isn't it? Not in my book, pal. I might even want you to draw me a picture of that one. Here's the blanket, Eddie. Sheet. Oh, okay, okay. It's fine. Come on upstairs, Marlowe. I'll show you the room. You want me to go with you and make the bed? No, you stay here and put up some more coffee, Dolly. All right. Got a hunch I may want lots of it tonight. Let's go, Marlowe. Right behind you, Eddie. How's the weather been in L.A.? Some might call it hot. Uh-huh. Uh, get the door, will you? Sure. Uh. Okay.
Okay, how come it's you, pal? I got good credentials, a car, and a tight yap. You better be right on all three. How'd you find me? Little map, Eddie. From Escondido to the dead tree to the covered bridge, and then up here at the cinch. Why'd you show alone? Where's Red? Gotta meet us at the border. It's a bum fit, pal. It's not in the book. Why? Uh, yeah, some kind of a last-minute jam with a boat. Oh, that jerk. He's had a month to line this up while I've been holed up out here in the sticks, making like a farmhand. Well, better work, that's all. If we're picked up this time, it's curtains. Oh, uh, incidentally, you got a gun, haven't you? Yeah, sure. Let's see it. Uh-uh. No dice, Eddie. Red didn't tell me everything, just enough. So? So you'll get your money's worth. I'll do what I'm supposed to do and no questions asked, for my little automatic and I stick together regardless, real close, together. <laughs> okay, Marlowe. Suit yourself. I will. And something else. The rest of the company is going along. Is that all set? Well, we'll see about that when the time comes. You're not leaving any loose ends around, are you? It's not your worry, pal. We'll get out of here around 11. Oh, and that routine about your car being stalled, it is a gag, I hope. Oh, sure, it won't start. If anybody tries, but in ten seconds with a screwdriver, I can fix it. <laughs> You're okay, Marlowe. Just keep playing your game. Yeah, I will. Maybe then I'll find out what the score is after all. Huh? You might at that. Come on, let's eat. Dinner at the Brule Farm was as loaded with gay chatter as a bad case of lockjaw. And when it was over, the participants scattered like everybody else was contagious. I wound up alone in the dark spare room on the second floor, which had one advantage. Windows that viewed both the front and the rear. The moon was bright, so I didn't bother with a lamp. I listened to Dolly rattle dishes in the kitchen until that stopped, and then I watched old man Brule pace his front yard. Once Ed Fry went out and talked to him briefly and then headed for the front door again. For a long hour after that, the big house was silent until from somewhere out in the back, there was a soft metallic tapping. Eventually, I spotted a heavy figure outside tossing pebbles against a window pane downstairs. And he edged back through the shadows to the barn. A moment later, I saw the girl slip out a rear door and run across the backyard to join her. I went down the back stairs and out along the house to a hedge and... I followed that until I was close enough it's to true, hear. It's true, I tell you. He's an escaped convict, a killer. He's been hiding out here on your place. I can't believe it, no. I just can't. Are you sure? Of course I am. I read it by accident just tonight in an old newspaper from Denver. The whole story with pictures. There's no doubt about it. Ed Fry is really Eddie Fillmore. He's a murderer. Plenty of times over. What? Well, what do we do? Should we call the police? Ah, uh, no. Not on your life. Listen, you want to get off this farm, don't you? More than anything in the world. Okay. Then we'll do it. Together, Dolly. I didn't tell another soul about this. You know why? Because they put out a reward. A big one for him. $2,500. And we're going to get it. Just us, you and me. But how, Noah? How can we talk? What's that? Did you hear that, Noah? That's nothing, nothing. It's one of the cats, maybe. Look. You've been taking walks with him lately, Dolly. Well, yes, I have, Noah, but... Well, never mind that now. Just get him to take another one right away. Get him to walk you down to Pritchett's house. I'll be waiting there, and as soon as you get inside, I'll jump him. You'll never know what hit him. Will you do it? Pritchett's house? Yeah. 
Well, I'll, I'll try. You, you give me some time to persuade him. Sure, sure. Oh, I knew you'd see things my way, honey. Oh, no. Oh, boy, no, with, no. with that reward money, there'll be no stopping us. You better go in now before they miss you. Okay. I'll get him there just as soon as I can. Hey, Bigman. What? Who's there? Marlowe. Listen, I got to talk here. You were here listening all the time, weren't you? Yeah, and believe me, you're making a mistake. You're playing with dynamite, Bickman. You two are nuts to tackle that guy alone. He's too tough for you. So you want to help so you can cut yourself in on the reward, that's all. Well, it ain't going to work. Don't be a sap. He's covered himself. There's somebody else in with him. Somebody around here, he's got an ally. You two try to grab him, and you're going to be in trouble. You're lying. He's been hiding out all alone, and we're going to get him, Dolly and me, by ourselves. And if you try to horn in, mister, so help me, I'll beat your brain. Cut it out. Reward or no reward, you got to listen to me. I got to nothing. Don't. Maybe that'll teach you not to stick your nose in, city boy. In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, Fred Allen's first appearance on the CBS Jack Benny Show. Al Jolson sings, but the face is Charlie McCarthy's. Andy of Amos and Andy goes on trial for deserting his bride by mistake. Those are three headlines that guarantee you a world of fun on CBS tomorrow night. Yes, this third Sunday of the new year will be an all-time high in radio entertainment. Hear them all on CBS tomorrow night. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Covered Bridge. I didn't pass out, but my jaw hurt and my legs moved like they were rubber. Now I had to find the roving Walter Brule because he should know where Pritchard's house was, where the ambitious team of Dolly and Noah might be biting off a lot more than they could chew, healthy 4-H teeth notwithstanding. Mr. Brule! Mr. Brule! Yeah? Hello? Who, who is it? Marlowe! Come here a minute, will you? It's important. Yeah, it's important. Now, what is it, Mr. Marlowe? Ah, oh, sure. Ace! Or He's your friend Noah. We had a few words. Noah Bickman? He was no friend of mine. Yeah, he's no friend of mine either. Look, Brule, I... I'm going to have to trust you. I've got no choice. Bickman found out Ed Fry is really an undesirable named Eddie Fillmore is wanted for the police by murder. Murder? And he wants to trap him for a $2,500 reward that's been posted and didn't want me in the way. No. Now, look. I'm not a passing tourist with motor trouble, but a private detective. Tell me, who is Pritchard and where does he live? Richard, where does he live? Mr. Marlowe, somebody has been making a joke on you. Elihu Pritchard died 20 years ago. He lived right in this house where I do today. This is Pritchard's house here? Oh, Pritchard's house? No, no, no. That is down the road near your car, the covered bridge. That is Pritchard's house. The bridge? Ah, you see... Elihu Pritchard was from New England, and he had a covered bridge on his farm there, so he wanted one here. He built it himself day by day, a board here, a nail there. Oh, and, and since he spent so much time at it, people call the bridge his house, is that it? Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. But then, 
Why is it important? Because of a meeting, Mr. Brule, a get-together that I don't think is going to be on the quiet side. Let me borrow your flashlight, will you? Sure. Now get back inside and call the police. But what are you going to do? Reinforce the reward, happy sweethearts, and keep an eye out for someone I haven't met yet. A third party Eddie Fillmore plans to tour Mexico with. country style back down to the covered bridge. When I was there, the Mauser I'd recovered from George in one hand, flashlight in the other. I found only the moon-washed, gray-covered bridge itself, trying to stand erect like an old soldier who has more pride than posture. But then as I stepped from the chalk road onto the sheltered oil soap planking, I found something else. Inside and face down was Noah Bickman. And lying nearby, the red-stained, icy fingers of the pitchfork that had killed him. I started to move closer. But then footsteps from the road behind suggested that I do different, so I moved quickly back to the bridge entrance, flattened myself into a narrow shadow and waited. Noah? Noah, is that you? It's Marlowe, darling. What? Mr. Marlowe, what are you doing here? Why are you down at the bridge at this hour? Where, where's Noah? He's dead, Dolly. He's dead? He's in there, but don't go inside. Look, I tried to stop him, believe me. Stop him? Stop him Don't what? bother, baby. I know about Fry being Fillmore, the reward, all of it. What? How? Well, first of all, I'm a private detective from L.A. was dragged into this by an ex-buddy of Fillmore's. Second, I was in the barn when you and Noah made your plans. Oh. When you left, I tried to talk Noah into accepting my help. Why? Because I know what Fillmore's kind is like. I mix with them every day. I know how they work. Look, did you tell Fillmore to meet you here, yes or no? No. No, I couldn't find him. I've been looking since I left the barn every place. That's why you came down here just now? Yes. I wanted to tell Noah that our plan would have to be postponed. But what difference does all this make? I don't know. Maybe a little, maybe a lot. If Fillmore had known about this, this rendezvous you two planned, it'd be 20 to 1 that he got here ahead of schedule and took care of Noah. But since he didn't... Well, since he didn't, I'm betting on a third party, someone we haven't met yet. A third party? Yeah, now listen to me and do just as I say. Turn around and walk straight back up to the house, and when you get there, get inside and stay put. But, Marlowe, what if... Go on, fast! All right. But be careful, Marlowe. Whoever killed Noah won't hesitate to kill you, too. When she started back up the road, I turned toward the bridge again. My flashlight following the dusty white footprints on the freshly oiled planking leading to the dead man. I stood over in the circle of light sweeping the area around him. There was just one thing I had to know. Marlo! Marlo! It's me, Walter Brewer. What are you doing down here? I thought you might need help, so after I called the police, I got my rifle and came down here, and I... Yeah, he's dead. The prongs on that fork went right through him. How terrible. Yeah. Look, Brule, was this planking freshly oiled today? Yeah, uh, why? I just wanted to make sure those chalk footprints were made today. But what do footprints... Brule, you stay here and see that no one has the bridge. Where are you going? Up to your house in a hurry, because I think I know who the killer and the third party is. (laughs) 
city-bred legs and smog-fed lungs, I made it up to the house in record time. But as I reached for the front door, I knew that time hadn't been quite good enough. The shot had come from somewhere in the house, and by the time I reached the living room, I knew I was too late to do any good. In a chair at the far side of the room, Dolly was slouched down, a surprised expression on her face. While her hands tried to hold back a small stain of blood oozing through her blouse, little frightened words whispered out of her mouth. You shouldn't have done it, Eddie. Stand where you are, Marlowe. She had it coming to her, the two-time and louse. Eddie. Eddie, I'm trying to tell you. You don't understand. I understand I... plenty, you no good little... Eddie. I was in the barn, heard the whole thing. You and that Bickman planning a switch with me out. No. You're wrong, Eddie. Dolly didn't try to double-cross you, Eddie. She only pretended to so she could set Noah Bickman up and kill him. That's what she did. No, you're a liar. True. That's what I tried to Eddie. I don't believe it. me. She's trying to help me. That's right, Fillmore. Bickman found out who you were, wanted the 2,500 bucks you were worth, dead or alive. Dolly had to play him along for your sake. Should have listened to her. Should have listened. How do you know all this, Marlowe? Found Dolly's footprints inside the covered bridge. Proof she'd been there before I found Bickman's body. Yeah. You know who I was, so you put it all together. Well, you're holding the gun, kid. What's the next move? Doesn't matter much anymore. I could still lamb out of here for Mexico. Somehow I don't want to. Not without Dolly. Phone the police, Marlowe. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> Several hours before the county police and Eddie Fillmore had gone. Walter Brule and I sat at the long wooden table watching the light from the fire dance across the hanging skillets and pans by the grate. And nobody said anything for a long time. I... I suppose hot apple pie at four in the morning seems odd to a man from the city. Not at all. Or in the morning, sometimes the middle of the day in the city. Yeah. Yeah. More coffee, Mr. Marlowe? Yeah, yeah, please. Thanks. You know, Dolly wasn't really a bad girl. It was just that sometimes she didn't think. And... A woman who loves like that doesn't think, Mr. Brule just feels. Maybe in some way it is my fault, the whole thing. No, no. It's nobody's fault, Mr. Brule. She was... She was trying to do the right thing for the guy she loved. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, your bed is still ready if you, if you care to sleep. Oh, thanks, you. I'd like to. If, if you can find your own way up, I, I think I'll sit here just a minute longer. Sure. Night. Good night, Mr. Marlowe. sat looking out over the starlit countryside. I thought of all the great love stories written about the good people who love, live, and suffer. And then the pathetic face of Dolly and the pain-racked face of Eddie said, what about us? And I had no answer. Chalk up another one, Marlowe. Another one of those things for which there is no answer. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Vivi Janis, Ben Wright, Jack Moyles, Wilms Herbert, Jack Crucian, and Barney Phillips. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time a twisted mind, a hole cut in a wire fence, and a corpse in a storeroom. All added up to freedom. But only for the one who had it coming. <laughs>